the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Looking solely at the immediate fundamentals for 2022, a positive year lies ahead for the shipping markets. The stellar profits may have peaked along with supply chain disruption, but earnings are going to continue to be considerably higher than pre-coronavirus levels, and demand and supply are set to be broadly in balance for the global shipping industry next year. I mean, sure, those prepared to look a little longer term and accept a more objective, clear-eyed assessment of the long-term risk factors that lie ahead may want to moderate their New Year cheer a little, but... Before we get into this week's podcast, I just wanted to get it on record that it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, sure, as we record this final episode of the podcast for the year, there are one or two menacing storm clouds gathering. The Omicron variant is spreading at an alarmingly rapid rate. Inflation is pushing 6% or more in Europe and US, while central banks are continuing their quantitative easing in response. Supply chains remain clogged, with delivery times and transport costs at near all-time highs. But what's Christmas without a little political turmoil, some climactic tempests, and the usual geopolitical storms looming overhead? So with all that in mind, we thought it would be a good opportunity to let Lloyd's List crack squad of analysts and editorial sharpshooters off the leash and do away with any notion of objectivity, asking them to offer up a speculative view of what they think is going to happen next. In this final edition of 2021, the Lloyd's List editorial team give you their 10 predictions for 2022, covering everything from the core box bulk and tanker markets to our view of regulatory inertia and marine insurance and everything in between. You're welcome. So let's start this year's forecast top 10 with a positive prediction from our chief correspondent, Richard Clayton. So looking into my crystal ball, uh, I see uh, an explosion of collaboration in 2022. Now, in 2021, a wave of technology hit the maritime sector for vessel performance optimization, um, for emissions reduction, for professional development, and so on and so forth. And this came both from long-established tech giants with the vision to see where shipping is heading over the next 10 or 20 years, but also from startups who've discovered a gap in the market for a specific expertise. Now, in 2022, the tech giants will recognize that there's expertise out there that they don't have, but they must have. And the startups will recognize they won't be able to secure the funding necessary to scale up their great ideas. So, the year ahead, we'll see a merging of vision with talent via a string of mergers and acquisitions. Now, I also see the maritime sector reaching out more urgently into the non-maritime sector to secure already established technologies for shipping, ports and the broader logistics chain. To me, the days of shipping working in isolation are long gone, yet we're not really seeing the full benefits of supply chain collaboration. And there's a further point on this. It's been come, it, it has become clear in 2021 that technology is only as good as the talent available to develop it and run it. So I expect 2022 will see companies acquired in order to secure talented people. And this means that the explosion of collaboration will target specific skills 
and specific talents, which for obvious reasons are in short supply. That's my view of 2022. Next up, I asked our senior markets reporter, Nida Baksh, what she thought was going to be driving the dry bulk market in 2022. Well, this year has been a spectacular year for the, for the dry bulk market, a little bit unexpectedly. But thanks to strong demand across all commodities from, you know, coal to, to minor bulks um, to grains, plus inefficiencies in the fleet, uh, we saw a pretty spectacular year and owners and operators are, are pretty, pretty happy with themselves, um, judging by uh, the earnings results that we've had this year, plus all the dividends that have been paid out. So the big question is, is this going to continue in 2022? And the answer is, is a little bit complicated. Number one, um, while we expect inefficiencies to continue to tie up the fleet for longer, so um, sort of longer non-sailing days for the fleet, um, there are question marks over demand. So the first one is China's demand for for commodities, for raw materials, for steel making materials. Is that going to continue as it did this year? And the answer is might not. Uh, There is definitely weaker sentiment in the market about this, namely because um, of Evergrande's um, uh, default, which um, Fitch ratings um, sort of downgraded um, the the Chinese property uh, developer to a restricted default. Um, so that has raised questions in the market. Um, however, it's it might not be as bad as, as people think um, because, you know, other maybe state-owned developers or maybe at provincial level may take over some of the projects that Evergrande had. And therefore, these, these projects will continue. Houses will continue to be built. Uh, new projects will be started. So it might not be as bad as we might expect. And another thing to remember is that the rest of the world has really pulled demand along this year. So it hasn't just been a China story, it's actually been a rest of the world story. And that is likely to continue next year as well. Not just the China story, but China is, of course, a determining factor in so many of the market stories that we cover. So next up, I turn to Sishin Chen, our Asia editor based in Hong Kong. And unsurprisingly, Evergrande came up for a second time in terms of predictions. Well, one, one of my predictions is that I think next year, the China and the US will likely uh, reach a new trade deal uh, to succeed the existing so-called uh, phrase one trade deal. Um, uh, uh, and I think there will be uh, probably a substantial reduction in tariffs uh, from the U.S. Uh, putting on the Chinese exports. Uh, if you follow the news, I, you probably know that you know the inflation in the U.S. Uh, is already very high. There uh, are pressure, you know, uh, for the for the U.S. government to. Um, you know, reduce the inflation and removing the, the, the tariffs will, will make sense. Uh, apparently, I mean, um, the early exchanges between the US and China seems to suggest that the US is still waiting for China 
uh, to fulfill its commitment in the phase one trade deal. But, you know, the latest figures suggest that, uh, you know, I mean, as of uh, uh, end October, I think China only uh, fulfilled about 60%, you know, of the um, uh, US goods that they committed to buy uh, in the agreement. So I don't think China will be able to, you know, uh, buy all the committed goods this year. So th there will be some, you know, stuff uh, being carried over uh, into next year, which I think will be packed into the new trade deal. Mm. Uh, but all in all, I think it, it should bought well for the shipping industry because, uh, you know, for container shipping, uh, removal of the tariff uh, will definitely be the good news. You know, it will help uh, maintain the cargo demand, which remains strong at the moment from the US uh, and uh, also, you know, create extra long how trade in other shipping segments. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, you would expect more energies and the greens uh, to be shipped from US into China. Mm. So talk of uh, a flagging Chinese economy and uh, general slowdown is uh, over exaggerated as far as you're concerned. Well, it's uh, well, um, I I hope so, <laughs> uh, but I think there are still lots of uncertainties uh, when it comes to next year's economic outlook in China. The economy is currently uh, softening uh, in the fourth quarter uh, because of, you know, uh, partially because of the government uh, uh, claim down on a couple of key industries uh, in the country, including, you know, the housing sector and the uh, private education sector. This has not helped the demand uh, for like domestic consumption and investment. So the only driver left uh, in China's economy is now exports. In that sense, I think the Chinese government, uh, you know, will try very hard, uh, you know, to keep that engine uh, forming, uh, continue to perform. Um, uh, next year, I mean, of course, the Evergrande brandy issue has caught a lot of attention uh, um, mm. overseas, but we've started to see uh, we, we start to see governments relaxing the policies on on, on the uh, property sector. I mean, I think the government has already uh, re reduced the reserve ratio for banks. Uh, so that they will have extra uh, to lend to the economy, including, you know, the property sector. They've also, you know, uh, they've also established a sort of working group uh, to help, you know, Evergrande to, uh, you know, uh, continue uh, its uh, construction works um, and um, help it to deliver the sort of uh, projects uh, which are still under constructions. Um, so I think these are good signs, um, you know, I, I believe, you know, the property sector is too important uh, for China's economy. There's no reason uh, that the government wants to, you know, bring it down, at least in a sort of disorderly uh, manner. Um, uh, and also, um, I think, uh, you know, even when you look at the property sectors, uh, we tend to be 
uh, over worried about you know, the situation because uh, you know the bad news coming from those private run developers, uh, including the Evergrande. But uh, you know the state-owned developers are actually uh, you know in quite good shape. Um, you know they they are ca cash rich and uh, they have the policy support. So I won't be surprised to see you know maybe some of the state-owned developers will take over. Uh, the sort of distressed uh, private, uh, the distressed, uh, distressed competitors in the private sector, uh, and uh, you know, sort of help the government to maintain the stability of the market. Next up in the number seven slot for this year's countdown, we have regulation, and Declan Bush offers us a view on how he thinks things are or are not going to be happening at the IMO this year. My prediction is the IMO will not approve anything of substance. This is probably not a surprise, but you look at the you look at what's on the actual agenda there in what will be the two marine environment protection committees scheduled for next year. Um, I think at least one of them will be remote and there's nothing up for a vote. So those calling for the kinds of drastic climate action we would all like to see are likely to be disappointed, but there will be progress continuing behind the scenes on market-based measures, on fuel mandates, on even the, the, the $2 a tonne fuel tax, the IMRB will continue. Uh, another prediction there will be that the IMRB ends up living on but merged as part of a different proposal now that it's been thrown in the bucket with all the other market-based measures. Exciting stuff, I know. <laughs> um, but the point being here that we're not necessarily going to see any big ticket agreements because the midterm revisions are what everybody is now working towards and they're not due until when? 2023 right. and you'll see it while a lot of countries even the eu 27 opposed a zero emissions by 2050 resolution they were arguing that's because we have to go through the the way we we get this done is through including it in revising the strategy for the rest of us expect nothing by 20 before 2023 even a target a net zero target like we're all calling for so end result of your prediction is that we're not going to see much regulatory progress in terms of solid decisions. That rather suggests that the focus of our coverage for next year at least is very much going to be on the industry and perhaps chasing some of the people who are offering some positive rhetoric this year and see if they're going to actually turn it into action. Mm, there's there's industry efforts there's green corridors although we'll have to keep an eye on that one because there are not as many signatories as there could be so we will see green corridors that's uh say two ports which both supply zero carbon infrastructure is the ultimate goal to try and get these supply chains moving along we might see these corridors starting to get developed but how many people are walking through them um still yet to be decided for regulation all eyes are definitely on brussels um, the Fit for 55 package is the, the be-all and end-all of, of my regulatory agenda next year. Coming in at number six in this year's countdown, we have Christopher Palson, our Gothenburg-based head of consulting for Lloydless Intelligence, who offers us a view in terms of where he thinks the market is going for 2022. Right. So, I uh, repeatedly get the question, if container shipping is in crisis. So let's put some context around this. We have a fleet that is fairly young. We have a large and growing order book which leads to lots of new tonnage 
additions in 2022 and the years to come even more. We have uh, the production of containers uh, at full steam ahead. So we have an influx of uh, lots of new containers, which has been in short supply. We see much of the pandemic related delays ease off, uh, hopefully permanently, but uh, that, uh, we don't know that. But uh, we see port congestion and hinterland connections improving. Um, we see that many of the shippers review their supply chains and the storage strategies, uh, which also has an impact on how things are to be transported in the future, maybe uh, have more options, also whether to reintroduce short-term storage. We have seen in the light of uh, high freight rates, cargo shifting to rural, to general cargo, even to land, and in some cases, even air transport uh, to avoid uh, supply disruptions and uh, uh, escalating costs. So in summary, we see market changes uh, on both the supply and demand side. And that means that shipping, container shipping is changing. And uh, if we see large, larger volumes removed from the demand side at the same time as capacity is released, new ships are delivered and more boxes become available, it could lead to a sharp, even though probably short-lived drop in container freight rates. But on the other hand, all of the above adjust slowly, which make rates decline at a slow pace, like letting air out of a tire that has run over a nail or something like that. So I would argue that a new business as usual rate that we should be approaching in 2022 is definitely going to be or likely going to be higher than it was pre-pandemic, since costs are higher going forward. And we also see a lot of high-priced charter contracts that are still in play. So that's my outlook for 2022 for the container shipping market. Now, I couldn't let Chris have his say on the container market without consulting our containers editor, Mr. James Baker, who comes in at number five. Well, I'd like to say things can only get better, but they could actually be getting a lot worse. Um, depending on what measures end up being taken with uh, to control the spread of Omicron and the pandemic in general, um, there's a chance that we're going to see further um, disruptions in ports, particularly those in China. Um, now, that itself could lead to more tonnage being tied up, waiting to load. Um, that then reduces the amount of available capacity worldwide, and that inevitably leads to rates rising again, which is not going to be good news for shippers. But we're, we're already in a situation now where, I mean, some studies are showing this up to 20% of capacity on some trades is being blanked by delays. Um, so while there's no shortage of actual ships and containers, there is a severe shortage of ships and containers that are actually moving anywhere. Um, we've seen sort of quite a lot made recently of some of the efforts to reduce the number of containers that are stuck in terminals um, at Long Beach and Los Angeles. But while this is helping to a degree, uh, there's still long queues of ships slowly steaming across the Pacific. So I mean, it was over 100 today um, en route to San Pedro Bay. So that's probably not I guess while we're on the topic of the West Coast ports, we've also got the um, ILWU contract coming up for negotiation again um, next year. Uh, 
Labour has certainly got the upper hand this time around um, and will be looking to extract benefits um, from the terminals. And if there's any breakdown in negotiations there like there was in 2014 and 15, then this will only add to the add to the woes. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, you said the not great news in terms of the congestion and uh, for shipping's customers, but in terms of those freight rates, they are translating into some pretty phenomenal and unprecedented profits for the lines. Any view in terms of whether that's going to continue into next year? I think that's the guarantee to continue into next year. We've seen operating profits been sort of speculated at anywhere between 100 and 150 billion between the the, the major carriers this year, which is just unheard of. Um, you know, Maersk is expecting to make well over 20 billion um, in profits this year. Uh, what has changed is that we're seeing more and more cargo being booked at, on long-term contracts than than in the past. As carriers, as, as shippers try and get some guaranteed the capacity and get some reliability. Um, this is perfect for the carriers because it's happening at a time when rates were incredibly high to start with. So they are now locking in those rates for a long term, longer term period. So uh, potentially they're going to make even more money next year than they made this year. And in terms of making any sort of solid predictions about uh, the time frame of how long it's going to take for all this to unwind, when we polled the Lloyd's List audience, uh, most seem to be of the opinion that we're not going to see the supply chain crisis end before 2023. Are you uh, broadly in agreement with that or do you think it could last longer? I'm uh, broadly in agreement that it will take at least until at least that long. After that, it's harder to see what happens. There may be some easing off of things after Chinese New Year. We tend to go into the traditional slack season then. But so much is clogged up. I, I think even if there is an easing of demand, then it's, it's not going to be enough to immediately solve the problem and certainly not before we go into the next peak season um, at the end of next summer. So, yeah, it's 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 not looking great for next year. Um, the only relief that can be seen on the horizon at the moment is that there's a lot more capacity coming in. Um, all the ships that we've had something like five million TEU of new container ship capacity ordered over the last 18 months or so. That will start coming on stream in 23. But even then, it, there's no point having the tonnage sitting there if you cannot get it into a port. And if you can't get the goods off it, and if you can't get those goods through the supply chain, then you're just going to have more ships parked up outside of terminals, outside of ports. So one of, the, one of the issues here is that this is not strictly a container shipping story. This is a supply chain story. Con you know, there, there is a real threat of you know additional regulation getting through. We've had the uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 21 being pushed through Congress. Now, that's fine and well, but container lines cannot fix the issues with warehousing. Container lines cannot fix the issues with shortages of truck drivers. Um, there's, there's real risk of, of regulation sort of uh, running into the law of unintended consequences here. Um, so. There's a lot of work to be done to to fix this problem, and it's going to take work across the supply chain. It's not just something that the the container lines or the terminals on their own can go and fix. So I think we're in, it will unwind, but it's going to take a long time to unwind. So I think well into 23 is my guess. 
there was a pessimistic uh, 8.5% of our readership who voted for the not in my lifetime option <laughs> on that question. But I think that says more about the demographic of Lloyd's List readers than it does about yeah. the actual time span. Yeah, what I would say is that, that when this returns to, to normal or what will be the new normal, um, we're not going to go back to the days when you could ship 20 tonnes of cargo from Shanghai to Rotterdam for under $1,000, like we used to be able to do in 2019. Um, that's not going to happen again. And I think people do need to really realise that whatever the new normal is, rates are going to be higher and there's going to be more compensation for the carriers for doing that work. From one market extreme to another, next up, I have Michelle Vizi bockman our markets editor, who gives her usual gloomy prediction for tankers. Okay, so my prediction for 2022 for tankers comes with caveats. So we have a large order book. We have demand almost, but not quite at pre-pandemic levels. So the tanker sector may be back in black by the mid-2022, won't be spectacular, but it will be better than now if US sanctions on Iran and Venezuela remain in place, scrapping continues or accelerates, the Omnicon variant, the Omnicon variant spread and economic impact is, is short-lived, and if China's property market stays propped up, then back in black. For those of you still with us and still counting, uh, we're now in our seventh prediction for the year, and we're going to Piraeus, where our Greek correspondent, Nigel Lowry, offers us a view of what he thinks will be happening in 2022. My prediction, Richard. Oh, dear. And my prediction for 2022, I, uh, this is going to sound like a terrible cop-out, and I'm sure that a lot of my uh, team colleagues have said exactly the same thing. But the only thing that comes to mind is that the only safe prediction is that, you know, surely 2022 will be as absolutely unpredictable as 2020 and 2021 for sure, but just about any other prior year in shipping. Because I don't think there can be any industry that is more difficult to predict than the shipping business. And when we think about why that might be, uh, well, the, the, the choices are endless, I suppose. It, it would start by thinking, well, shipping is uh, comprised of very many stupid people. But I don't think that that's true, is it? Uh, I don't think shipping people are any more stupid than any, anyone else, Poss possibly not brighter either. But no, I mean, no certainly not the noiseless podcast else. listeners, at least. They're Absolutely. all very intelligent people. Absolutely. Um, so that's not the answer, is it? I, I suppose the answer is that it's um, it's because the shipping business is a sort of convergence. It's a sort of perfect storm of things that make life very unpredictable, uh, and they include the sort of very very delicate nature of uh, of supply and demand, the globality of it, but a globality in in a way that is comprised of lots of sort of uh, sort of more micro. Uh, economies, more micro markets um, uh, split across a sprawling geography that that is not uniform. Um, and and the players are so fragmented, aren't they? The players are fragmented, especially in the bulk sectors. Um, no more so uh, than here in Greece. Um, I mean, Greece is still the bastion of the sort of smaller, uh, medium-sized private operator that has made the industry. Uh, to a great extent what it is today, for better or for worse. 
it certainly provided a extremely efficient in many ways model of transportation to the consumer's benefit. Um, and, and, and all these things play into the difficulty of, of making any predictions whatsoever. And then you have the sort of leg, leg, legislation as well, the sort of fairly very consistently um, heavy legislative agenda that over, over, overrides a lot of uh, what, uh, what people are planning to do. So you have all those factors. So my prediction is that, you know, everyone else's predictions will surely be wrong. Um, other than that, I think, uh, you know, the obvious things are sustainability um, uh, and ESG principles. Uh, ship owners are uh, wrestling with those issues as much as anyone. Um, and, and on the surface, you know, the fact that there are so many small private companies does make that journey uh, even more difficult. Um, banks have not necessarily withdrawn support for fossil fuel companies themselves, but seem terribly eager to align their shipping portfolios to climate targets. And now just the other day, the, the news uh, broke that uh, some of the, marine, the top marine insurers in the world uh, are launching their own Poseidon principles. And, you know, the skeptic might point out that uh, insurers the last few years have not necessarily made dealing with polluting casualties their top priority. But yet again, they're keen to uh, align their shipping portfolios with climate targets. So it, it all adds up to um, a fascinating, complex and ultimately very unpredictable picture. Well, we will allow you the cop out this once. Uh, you're in good oh, company, as the, you, um, as the atomic physicist Niels Bohr once said, prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. So you're in good company and not wanting to give us a prediction. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, uh, that company. Yes, I'm comfortable with that comparison. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nigel. We're now down to the final two predictions for next year. And what would Christmas be without a festive piece of marine insurance forecasting from our very own David Osler? Well, Richard, I know you're asking staff members for surprise predictions, but of course, insurance exists precisely to eliminate nasty surprises. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a little bit more predictable. Um, we already know the broad outline of the P&I renewal round, which will be the main event between the start of the year and uh, the traditional renewal deadline of 20th of February. Um, there is a range here with clubs going for rises or other premium increases between 5% and 15%. But um, the bulk, well over half, have clustered at 12.5%. They are justifying this on the grounds of the deleterious situation of the international group pool scheme, which looks to be heading for its second year in succession of record payouts. I mean, to give just some idea of the pressures that some clubs are certainly feeling, I was talking to Joe Hughes, the chief executive of the American club. Um, Joe told me that the pool scheme is now 
accounting for one payout dollar in three being paid out by the American club, despite the fact that they haven't had a pool claim to their own account for something like five years. Now, I stress he's not complaining about it, but uh, yeah, he accepts that that's the way the scheme works. But that just does give you some idea of, of how tough people are finding it out there. Um, the other factor, of course, has been coronavirus. Um, a lot of crew claims payouts on that one. Indeed, it'll be interesting going over the financial statements that the clubs will be publishing next year and maybe getting some sort of handle on just how bad that is going to be. Excellent. That's exactly what we needed. Oh, well, no, you, you need. You, you know what to say. What about other classes of marine insurance, Dave? Oh, I see. Sorry. What about other classes of marine insurance, Dave? Uh, hull and machinery rates are uh, always harder to gauge because you don't get those convenient annual headline announcements like you do with P&I. Um, the underwriters write them commercially rather than on a mutual basis and keep the rates close to their chest. Um, but as far as we can work out from what we're hearing in the market and also by doing back-of-an-envelope calculations on the basis of published financial statements. Um, it does look like pricing hardened significantly in 20, um, 2021, perhaps by as much as 10 to 15%. Um, factors at work here include reduced capacity in the market in the wake of the diesel 10 crackdown on underperformers at Lloyd's, and as well as the aftershocks of Ever Given. Um, I think my best guess is that it's going to go up again in the year ahead. Uh, then there's war risk, which is easily the most volatile marine insurance class. Um, benchmark in normal times is 0.25% of hull value, but that can easily double or treble um, when bad stuff starts happening. Now, any prediction on that would depend on anticipating political developments in the Middle East and no, not even for you. I'm not going to go there. Spoil sport. And we're almost there. The final prediction for 2022 falls to the man who keeps Lloyd's List going on a daily basis. Lloyd's List deputy editor, Linton Nightingale, who, amongst many other things, edits the Lloyd's List top 100 ports and top 100 people. Okay, so in the first few months of 2022, we will be collating the TEU figures from uh, ports across the world. Um, so I guess the main take of what we're expecting to see is the North American US ports driving volume growth. Uh, consumers have continued to spend and US inventories were constantly being replenished in 2021. Um, and the majority of US ports are expected to post record growth and volumes for the 2021 calendar year, but also the big ports in the Far East exporting, of course, these high Trans-Pacific volumes throughout 2021 should fare well, in addition to their strong inter-Asia business. But this will mask what has been a fairly disappointing year at ports elsewhere in the world, elsewhere in the world particularly Europe. Um, with volume growth fairly subdued. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about was container shipping. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting as to what they're going to do with these profits that they've made and will look, continue to make in through to 2022 with freight and charter rates still so high and little sign that they're going to drop dramatically. 
Um, obviously, will they, won't they extend on new build programmes is one thing, but I think what we'll continue to see is further expansion into the logistics sphere. Um, but I also expect others to follow um, Maersk and CMA CGM and their lead into air cargo investment. Another thing on this, I always say this is a chance for some of the major players here to lead the decarbonisation drive with some hefty investment or a potential of taking a punt on carbon neutral ships and sustainable fuels. Maersk has obviously committed to its first uh, carbon neutral ships, which are going to hit the water, um, not uh, 2024 hour. Um, but I expect again others to follow this lead um, with plenty of money in the coffers and I think there could be some eye-catching moves in the sector um, with them accelerating plans for low emission, uh, zero emission ships and to, for the future. And that's it for another year. You can now rest easy, settle into the festive spirits, assured that you know exactly what is coming your way in 2022 and beyond. It just falls to me to thank you all for listening this week and for the whole of the year and to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a prosperous 2022.